Welcome to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. We started Someone to Tell It To in 2012, and all along, our philosophy has been to listen. Because our mission is to cultivate meaningful connections through compassionate listening and to train others to do the same, we thought it might be best to highlight both aspects, listening and training in a podcast. Both listening and training continue to catalyze this global listening movement where someone's voice is being heard. Someone is being reminded that they matter and someone doesn't need to feel alone in whatever they are facing. We'll be posting two episodes each month to start. One will highlight training because we can all benefit from learning how to become better listeners. The second will highlight how listening has played a vital role in an individual's journey. We are so excited to share these rich conversations with you. We've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what to call the people we listen to. You know, are they clients, friends, storytellers? Nothing quite fit. So we wanted a name that represented the type of relationship we try to build and the way we value those we listen to. But the fact is we struggled. We struggled to find a single word that could accomplish what we realized, what we needed. So in the end, we were surprised to find the answer that was staring right at us. Someone. Someone with a story to share. Someone who needs a friend. Someone who is grieving, angry, lonely, afraid, or has questions about matters of faith. Someone who simply needs someone to listen. We always hope to establish a mutual relationship between friends who are sharing life's journey together. So that means that you are someone. You have a story worth sharing. You have inherent worth. You deserve to be seen, heard, and known. It also means that we are someone. We have stories of our own. We value knowing, showing up and listening and compassion. We want everyone to know the joy of engaging in meaningful relationships. You'll see us using this refreshed terminology from now on. And when you see it or hear it, we hope it makes you smile. You are someone. In its simplest form, mission-true organizations know why they exist and protect their core at all costs. They remain faithful to what they believe God has entrusted them to do. They define what is immutable, their values and purposes, their DNA, their heart and soul. These are the words of Peter Greer in his book, Mission Drift, The Unspoken Crisis Facing Leaders, Charities, and Churches. Peter Greer is president and CEO of Hope International, a global nonprofit focusing on addressing both physical and spiritual poverty through micro-enterprise development. Peter has degrees in international business from Messiah College and in public policy from Harvard University. He has authored over 10 books. He lives in Lancaster, Pennsylvania with his wife, Laurel, and children, Keith, Liliana, and Miles. Rebecca Menser serves at Hope International as a listening, monitoring, and evaluation analyst. In this role, 
She supports the Hope Network in listening well to clients and savings group members to improve mission fulfillment. Rebecca studied economics at Texas A&M University and has now called Lancaster, Pennsylvania home for the last four years. Well, welcome, Peter and Rebecca. So good to have you both with us today. And uh, we're excited, very, very excited about this interview. Thank you for having us. Let's just get into it here. Um, Michael had just read a, a, a great quote from Peter's book, Mission Drift. And we just are curious, um, you know, in that quote, you, you use this statement that about you talk about immutable values. And that's not a word that's easy to say. If we had to say that 10 times fast, that would be hard to do. Uh, what are some of those immutable values that are most important to you two as leaders? Yeah, well, thanks for having us on. And, you know, that quote uh, came out of a conversation that we had with another individual that heard that we were doing some research on mission drift and how organizations move away from their founding identity and mission. And the individual said, no, like, don't write that book because I know what's going to happen. That anytime I want to propose a change of any sort, that we are going to be raising the flag of mission drift and it's going to actually not allow us to adapt to change. And it was a really interesting point because what he was essentially saying was, you know, we want to make a very clear distinction between the means that we want to always hold with open hands and a smaller set of ideas and beliefs that we want to make sure are so firmly entrenched in everything that we do as leaders and as an organization that those are the things that are immutable. Those are the things that do not change. And so it was a fun process to think through that. What is that for us at Hope International? And I like how you uh, changed the question and uh, focused on, well, what is true for us as leaders? And, and just two things come to mind for me. The first is that all people have worth, capacity, and value. This belief so deeply entrenched in what I believe is the the, the account of all creation that God created everyone with worth, with capacity, and that changes the way that we see every single person as loved and with value, with capacity. And then related uh, to that, I think one of the other key pieces that I have as, as a leader, one of my most important values is that my greatest measure of success uh, or failure is going to happen when I'm gone. And so this idea of a mission that extends beyond any one person. And so thinking and planning and preparing for an organization uh, that I sure hope thrives while I am here. But even more, I think the greatest test of leadership is what happens when you are no longer there. And so changing the time horizon to extend beyond our tenure, I would say that's another key immutable value that I hold in as well. Similarly, as Peter shared about as Peter shared about the importance of values, I think it's critical for leaders. As Stephen Covey says, to seek first to understand, then to be understood. Is any changes that come along in the future? What is that coming from? Is that true to our founding? Is that true to what we hold to be true as believers as well? And then caring for staff and those we serve alongside and those we serve holistically. An organization is only as healthy as the health of those we serve. And so I think those are critical for us as well. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about Hope International uh, for those who are listening today who don't know much about your mission. Um, would you tell us why you two have chosen to lead Hope? You know, when I was studying at Messiah College, I was participating in something called the International Business Institute, and I was in 
Moscow and had lunch with someone and he heard my interest in business and entrepreneurship. He heard my interest in missions and he asked a question that I had no idea just how significant it was going to be. But he asked me if I'd ever heard of Mohammed Yunus and the Grameen Bank. And I was fascinated by this approach of using of using business, of using the tool of enterprise and financial services to invest in communities that oftentimes uh, were missing capital, access to capital, and watching what happens when you shift from a mindset that uh, sees the world as a place of need that we have to go in and give what they need to actually seeing the God-given creativity and capacity in, in all people around the world. And so that was really uh, the turning point for me. And I have been so fortunate to really not do anything else uh, for my career, but started out in Cambodia and then uh, went to Rwanda and then Zimbabwe and uh, really have tried to figure out what it looks like to use these tools of microfinance, microenterprise developments and savings groups, and to make sure that they are used to address the full aspect of all of poverty and all its dimensions of spiritual poverty, of physical poverty, material poverty, social poverty, and personal poverty as well. And so thankfully, my kind of personal passion, what brought me here is also in line with the organization, that we are an organization that is focused on that, using financial services, if you will, uh, to invest in the dreams of families all around the world as we proclaim and live the gospel. It's what that really looks like. If you were to go, uh, you would be taken with us to places, marketplaces and entrepreneurs. You would hear stories of individuals that have started uh, enterprises or expanded enterprises. And then the stories that I love most are then seeing how they are in turn uh, being agents of generosity in their community. And so just real practically, what does that look like? I think about my trip last summer to Rwanda and uh, meeting Severa, and she was an entrepreneur that has all of these businesses. She received a small loan, less than $50 to start, and now has been able to grow her enterprises. She has 50 employees today. But the thing that I get so excited was listening to her business success and how that has enabled her to adopt eight orphans, to bring them into her home, to provide health insurance for her community, to buy the community a clean water well in, in their community, and just watching how this business success with a heart that says, I am blessed to be a blessing, and then to watch how she, in her family, in her life, in her community, is having a dramatic impact. So I would say that's the mission of Hope International. It's to invest in Severa and almost a million individuals like her around the world right now. This is Tom, and I follow you on social media. Didn't you take your family with you on that last trip? Is that correct? Tom, I bring my family with me every chance I can get, but you're exactly right. Uh, I, I love my, uh, my kids meeting some of the entrepreneurs that we serve around the world. That has been an incredible joy for me as well. I'd like to repeat uh, your mission statement again because we love it and we, we, and we want to talk about that for a few moments. Your mission statement is that we invest in the dreams of families in the world's underserved communities as we proclaim and live the gospel. So we'd like to ask you, and, and Rebecca, if you'd like to answer this, help to answer this too, how do you grow to know what the dreams of the families are, you know, in the countries and communities in which hope serves? Because uh, we just think that that being able to do that is really tremendous, and and we'd love to learn how how you do it. Yeah, thank you for your question, and it's a great one and one that 
um, I and my team spend a lot of time thinking about in the simple answers that we ask them. <laughs> we recognize, as Peter shared Severa's story, I don't know what Severa's dreams are. And as an organization, what's important coming out of our mission statement is that we are investing in the dreams of families. We're not investing in our ideas of what their dreams should be. So as we provide financial options, this is the opportunity to invest in their dreams. That might be paying school fees for their children. That might be um, building a new roof for their home. That might be increasing their tie to the church. And so we've developed a number of tools to seek to better understand the dreams of the families that we are serving. In fact, one is called the Dream Catcher, and it's primarily an, an open-ended survey of seeking to understand what are your dreams, how are we helping you achieve them, and how could we do a better job of helping you invest in your dreams? And we've learned a lot of rich information, dreams related to starting or investing in a business, dreams related to owning a home or land. And as we recognize that poverty is not just material, we're also excited to invest in dreams of reconciliation in communities of a deepening relationship with God and recognizing on a deeper level um, the God-given dignity within each of the families and individuals that we serve. And you know, this is a timely question for us. We're in the midst of a strategic planning process and at the core is understanding what the visions of our clients are for the future because we want to build the future that they are dreaming of, the future that the Lord has for them. And so we seek to be uh, good students of those that we have the privilege of serving alongside. We're very impressed by that, and uh, we we value that very very much because those those are the very similar kinds of things about what we do. It's someone to tell it to as well. We really want to listen to what is on people's hearts, what what their hopes and dreams are, their goals, their you know their just who they are, and what is important to them, what they value, and that um, that is so meaningful and it's so sacred, and so we we applaud you. Uh, for for doing that uh, because we we just believe it's very powerful yeah <clears throat> early on when we started someone to tell to one of our friends learning more about our mission and how we're we're very different than a lot of organizations and that there are a lot of great fantastic organizations that are doing great work around the world giving water to people who need water or clothing to people who need clothing or food and uh, he's a good friend of ours and he sent us a story from the book, The Insanity of God, if either one of you have ever read it. And uh, for those who are listening today, we actually wanted to read this uh, segment of the, the book because we thought you would resonate with it. So we're going to start. Uh, Nick Ripkin says that this missionary who he's writing about learned another lesson that was even more important. This lesson helped cure me of what I might call loving arrogance. The people I wanted to help were living in such horrible conditions that my natural response was to focus only on what they lacked. My normal questions revealed what I was thinking. My typical encounters with people would sound something like this. Do you need food? We have this food for you. Is your baby sick? We have medicine. Do your children need clothes? We have clothes for them. Does your family have shelter? We have blankets for you and sheets of plastic that you can use for protection from the weather. Do you need burial cloth? We have that as well. We soon discovered that those were not the most important questions. When we finally slowed down enough to listen, the people themselves told us what they needed most. One day I said to a bent over, shriveled up woman, tell me what you need most. What can I do for you first? She looked ancient 
but she may have only been in her 40s if I understood the story that she began to share with me. This is what she said. I grew up in a village many days walk from here, she told me. My father was a nomad who raised camels and sheep, and she told a little about her growing up years. I married a camel herder who did the same thing. He was a good man. Together we had a good life and four children. And she talked some about her marriage and family. The war came, and the militia marched through our village, stealing or slaughtering most of our animals. When my husband tried to stop them from taking our last camel, they beat him, and then they put a gun to his head. And tears began to trickle down her cheeks. I worked hard to care for my children after my husband was killed, but the drought came. When my neighbors left for the city, some of them gave me what they couldn't carry with them, so I tried to make do, but there wasn't enough. My oldest boy got sick and died. When the last of our food was almost gone, my children and I began walking. I hoped that life would be better here in the city, but it is not. It's harder. Men with guns are everywhere. They raped and beat me. They took my older daughters. I only have this little one left. There's no work for a woman alone. I don't know how I will take care of her. I know no one in this place, but I don't have anywhere else to go. So many people with similar stories desperately needed more than the help that they were prepared to give. What they wanted even more, however, was for someone, anyone, even a stranger who was still trying to learn their language, to sit for a while or just stand with them and let them share their stories. I perhaps should have known this, but I was amazed to see the power of human presence in my pride. I thought that I knew exactly what these people needed, but I never would have thought to put conversation or human connection on my list. Once again, I was profoundly humbled. Rebecca, how would you respond to this quote? Yeah, that is that is a powerful quote and represents a powerful lesson, which is one we continue to learn. It makes me think of scripture that um, we can do a lot of good things, but if love is not at the center of it, then we've we've lost meaning. And I think listening in and of itself is a core way for us to love our neighbor. And this is really exemplified by this by this quote that you've shared with us. And as I serve on a team focused at li- focused on listening at Hope, um, it's intentional that the name or the word listening is in our title, listening, monitoring, and evaluation. We recognize we don't have the answers. So often we can be in the place of coming and saying, you need this, don't you need this? But rather seeking to humbly come and say, what do you need? And to sit alongside and journey with someone, not just in the season of simple answers, um, but seeking to understand the depths of their story. And in that place of humility, we seek to learn from clients, those that we have the privilege of serving. And we believe listening is a ministry in and of itself, and not just a means of evaluating a ministry. And we believe in the ministry of presence. This guides our listening to strive to not be an extractive process to answer our own questions only, but to create space to listen to and learn from our clients. And we celebrate the opportunity to help clients see what's already in their hands and to mobilize those resources for impact. It is powerful to see um, the excitement on the faces of our clients when we come to listen to them. There's such a a simple 
power in coming and being with, regardless of what you discuss, that beauty in the ministry of presence of simply saying, I've come to be with you. And we are privileged to have that opportunity. Only to say that if, if you were to talk to the global team, um, you would hear them talk about the positive benefit of listening and, and the conversations that it prompts. And, and uh, Rebecca, she does a masterful job creating structures to listen well. And so I think that's kind of the, the irony is, is listening well, it takes, it takes a skill, it takes intentionality, it takes uh, structure. And, um, and just one thing with Hope International, if there's anything that we have that might be helpful to other organizations, we love sharing. We believe we are in this together with so many others. And so if any of the listening tools that we've created uh, might be helpful to other organizations, we'd love to share it. So I think even about the dream catcher tool mm -hmm. and just starting by listening and what are the dreams of the individuals that we serve. So yeah, love to share any of the tools that Rebecca was talking about with anyone that might have an interest. We'll probably be following up with you after <laughs> yeah. this interview, actually, about that. We would that. like to see them, too. Yeah. It's tremendous. Peter, maybe you could talk a little bit more for our listeners today about some of the life lessons you've learned as CEO of Hope. <laughs> we have limited time on this podcast. There are so many things that I would love to, to share. Maybe just a, a, a very high-level uh, couple thoughts. One is that failure is okay. I think when I got into this, I thought that we had to be somehow perfect. And I think for a lot of nonprofits, they believe that. And so what does that do? That stifles innovation. It causes you to keep on doing what you've always done. And it causes you, if we're really being honest, to hide failures from yourself, from your staff, and from your donors. And I think about one time that we had a pretty significant failure in one of the countries of operation. And we had a group of donors that had given specifically for this country, for this initiative. And I went down and met with them. And I thought that was going to be the end of our relationship because I thought they supported Hope International only for success. I thought they only wanted the success stories. And their response as I talked about this significant failure there was, there, there was something special in their response, and it was one of affirmation. They wanted to know what we learned. They wanted to know what we were going to do differently. And one uh, person in that group shortly afterwards, he said, Peter, this is the moment that I knew that I could trust you. And, and it turned out to be this actual incredible gift, not just organizationally for some of the things that we changed and improved, but also relationally. And so I think for leaders, for us to be okay with failure, for us to be honest when things don't work as we might have originally hoped, uh, that, that 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 is not the end. Uh, that is a key way of learning and growing. Um, so I'd say that's one lesson is it's okay to fail. Just make sure we're learning from it and continuing to go. And the second is as excited as I have been about the mission of hope, I think that there was a time that I was so excited about the mission of hope that I forgot the other aspects of who I am and what also matters. And I think for a lot of nonprofit leaders that are so excited about the work that they do, they can tend to forget the other areas of meaning and significance in their life. And for me, uh, that meant that I forgot in the midst of being a CEO of a nonprofit, 
I forgot about the higher calling and even more important role that I have as a husband and as a dad and as a friend. And uh, I never want to make that mistake uh, as well. I want to make sure as an organization, we're not just doing good work around the world, but we have healthy team members. And so just one real practical thing that we did was to limit the number of nights away for all staff members to say no one is away from their home base more than 75 nights a year, which for a global nonprofit organization, that's kind of unheard of. But I believe that that is so essential uh, to be able to say no to good opportunities uh, and to make sure that there is health beyond just the work that we do to make sure there is personal, spiritual, family health uh, in addition to hopefully good work that's happening at the nonprofit level as well. Yeah, one of the lessons that we continue to learn, um, we're the founders of Someone to Tell To and we're seven and a half years in that a good old school of hard knocks is sometimes the best school of all, even if it's painful and, and frustrating. We've learned some of the best lessons just by making decisions, and sometimes they're not the best decisions, and we just need to go back and reflect and learn from them. Uh, we are continuing to learn, as it sounds like you are as well, that failure is just not final. And we've also learned, and I think as you, you just, ex just described, about the, the power of vulnerability, being able to be open you know, with your donors about what, you know, what may have gone wrong, what failed, uh, and to share that, to be honest about it, open about it, humble, and, and just to see, you know, how much support you got, you know, you didn't lose them. And we see this over and over again when, when people, and including ourselves, are able to, to express some vulnerability, you know, about ourselves or things we've done or not done. It, it really makes a difference and it, it helps to connect us as human beings. And, and that's so important. And uh, it, uh, it, it really does generate a, a just greater understanding and support. As you were sharing, Peter, I was immediately thinking back to probably maybe six months or a year ago, we had done a, a, a rebrand uh, through our whole organization, new website, new logo, et cetera. And we had several donors who had paid significant amount of money to have that happen. And we had went to print some materials that our, our annual newsletter was going in the mail and it went out. And then afterwards we realized that it was our old logo and you hear all these donors had invested heavily to move us forward and we didn't, we weren't on point. And so we, we just owned it and we sent personal messages to each one of these and many of them are CEOs of other organizations and businesses. And they were just very gracious and understanding that they too have had their fair share of failures along the way. And, and as long as we learn from them, we can move forward. That is so great. Yeah. And I think about uh, Thad Cockrell. He is a musician, but he has this one line where he talks about how our strengths divide us, but our faults unite us. And just as you said, the, the, that is something we all can relate to. And there's something power about vulnerability and depth of relationship that is uh, so essential. So yeah, thanks for sharing that experience as well. So another question for you is, as a leader of a faith-based international development organization, would you be willing to talk about why listening is so important to you? I think two thoughts on that. I think the first is it's impossible to love someone if you're not listening to them. 
that that love is upstream uh, from from all of this, uh, but it requires listening. It requires us to do that. So if you're involved in an organization like we are, and we say we want to invest in the dreams of families around the world, we want to positively impact global poverty. And and if we do all of this good work, but we're not listening to them, we're actually undermining uh, the viability of the ministry and the impact that we could be having. So loving begins with listening. And I think the second piece is if we're not actively listening, we're not hearing what's not being said. And maybe that sounds so incredibly obvious, but a couple of years ago, we, we were having exit interviews and we look at retention rate of, of, of staff and of supporters. And, and we were doing these exit interviews and there were things that we were learning on that. And in some cases, thought, oh, if we had only known about that, we could have addressed that. And so uh, one of my colleagues here, Jesse Kasler, he started initiating something that was not about the exit interview, but he, he called them stay interviews. <laughs> he wanted to interview people, not when they're going out the door, but, but tell me what's going on. Tell me what you're enjoying. And with an intentionality to say, let's listen well. And in a similar way, we conduct, we participate in the Best Christian Workplace Survey. And in a similar way, an externally administered survey that allows the global team now to speak into what's going well, what's not going well as an organization. And there are always very concrete, actionable items that come out that make us a stronger organization that if we didn't listen, if we didn't ask, we simply wouldn't know. So I think you, you, you can't hear what's not being said. And so having a way of intentionally listening and uh, yeah, learning and improving based on that, it's an, an essential part of making sure there's a healthy culture, there's a healthy team and a healthy workplace. Right now, we're in the process of writing our third book, and it's going to be geared more towards businesses listening to their employees, specifically for managers. And we've been wrestling through this question of accountability and how to hold others accountable for the work that they commit to doing. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that and how listening comes into play there. Yeah, well, I think about listening as a two-way conversation. Right, that it, it, communication is not one way; it's not didactic. It's 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 both ways. And I think about how many challenges within a workplace, within a culture, could it be avoided if upfront there was calibrating expectation, there was clarifying goals, and then throughout the implementation process there was an offer to help. So just imagine how many things would be different if upfront there is a conversation both ways. These are the goals, this is what we're about, this is why we're going after it, this is why it matters, and are these the right goals that we have? And then over the period of implementation, if there's clarity up front on the why and the what, then throughout the process of saying, how can I help in the achievement of that goal and to make sure we're listening well. So I just think about that aspect of accountability and uh, goal setting and and how critical it is for upfront communication, for regular reporting. And then hopefully the last part of communication is celebration. What, what did work over the period and making sure that you're not missing that opportunity to look back, see what was accomplished and in appropriate ways, recognize and celebrate some of the successes as well. 
Peter, you you said something very early on uh, in this conversation that that resonated very strongly with us, and it was about how everyone matters, everyone is valued, and how important that is, because that is a value, or those are values of of us as well, and someone to tell it to. We we just think that is so important, and and when we train people, talk to them about you know how to listen more intentionally, how to listen better. One of the, we 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 start with that. It it's for it starts with what you believe about people that you you need to believe that they that they have value that they matter because if you don't believe that you won't listen to them and very well and but if you do believe it you will be much more intentional we and so we we want to applaud you this organization uh, for having those kinds of values because uh, that's just that's so so important so we want, we want to ask you, you know, what are some other, any, any other practical ways or disciplines or rituals, habits that, that you've developed to be more intentional in, in, the, in the area of listening beyond, you know, first what it is that you believe about, about individuals? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I'd love to do is I would love to listen to Rebecca answer that question. <laughs> she, is, <laughs> she is the expert here at Hope on that. So she's far better uh, able to answer that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, glad to. So especially as we think about how Hope International as an organization prioritizes listening, we believe the act of asking for feedback is a way to both honor others and gain understanding to improve our effectiveness for the kingdom. And listening is a muscle. It's, it's, it's exercise. We get stronger the more that we listen. And as an organization, we built rhythms to continue developing this muscle. And when we think about those that are engaged uh, with us in this mission, we think of four different groups of people our clients, our partners, our staff, and our supporters. And we've designed tools to intentionally listen to each of these groups to understand the impact of their engagement with hope and how we can better serve them. And we also prioritize this practically through our resources, through staff time and financial resources specifically devoted to listening. And as that becomes more of a regular part of our work, that becomes um, more and more integrated into who we are as people and how we serve. What are some of the mistakes maybe that you've made in this area, that things you've overlooked, um, maybe some of the biggest learnings that you've had? Yeah, absolutely. I think there can be a tension when it comes to listening with an agenda. As an organization, we have specific questions we are hoping to learn from our clients. We have questions about their experience. We have questions about their impact. And we've learned the importance of clarifying the purpose of the conversation. Are we trying to answer the question, how are you? Or are we trying to answer the question, how are we as an organization? We also learned about culturally relevant listening. As the, for the team that I serve alongside, we work in a, a technical space of designing surveys, and this plays out in the structure of the questions we ask. We've learned about the importance of not simply applying a Western way of thinking in our listening activities, for example, through the way that we frame questions or answer choices we provide, but seeking to understand what does it look like to listen well within the context that we serve? How do we foster a safe place for discussion? Not an extractive listening process, but one for where those that we're listening to feel safe to share honestly. And that's something we continue to learn. Yeah, can I just add one on that in terms of greatest mistakes in listening? Uh, I think it was one of the early surveys that we administered and it was an anonymous survey and there were a couple responses in it, and I I wanted to immediately re rebuke and refute 
<laughs> on that. What do you mean on this? And the worst part of an anonymous survey is you don't know. It doesn't allow you to go back individually. And, and yet, uh, after a brief moment um, in, in talking with the team, it was, it was there were a couple things that came up. But one was, um, why is it that that feedback was shared in an anonymous format? Why wasn't there that openness to share directly? So is there something about the culture that we need to learn? Is there something about everyone knowing that we would love to hear that to improve and, and the second piece was, and Peter, look at your response. Maybe this has something to do with the fact that this was not coming out in a form other than an anonymous survey. So I think when you listen, uh, the goal, and you, you, you guys know this so well, but the goal can't be initially to disagree or to try and disprove. The goal of listening is to listen uh, and to learn and to listen without uh, immediate response, to listen without agenda, uh, as Rebecca was saying. And I think that's an area for me that uh, this whole process uh, I've, I've needed to learn from and still have some room to improve, to listen with the agenda, initial agenda being exclusively uh, to listen and learn. So those are some of the negative things that you've learned. What, are, what about some of the more positive examples and some of the re results and effects that listening is played at hope absolutely i think of success in two respects first thinking of listening as a ministry opportunity and second thinking about the result of our listening what have we learned and how have we responded as a result so first as a ministry opportunity there have been beautiful testimonies of the power of listening including fostering reconciliation in one program, there was a loan group that was delinquent in their repayments, and they were selected to participate in a survey. And they were concerned when the staff person arrived to interview them if this would be about their delinquency. And they were amazed when they learned that this staff member came simply to listen and to learn from them. And in fact, the group was so moved, they later gathered their resources and cleared their delinquency as a result of the kindness that they were shown. We didn't go in order to receive a repayment. We went to listen and to love our clients well. And it's beautiful to see how that, how that moved them and brought reconciliation in those relationships. And second, I think of success in terms of what we've learned and how we've responded. And responding is important as an organization because it is one thing to love someone by listening, and it's another to love someone by responding as a result of what they've shared. And hope is a better organization because of what we have learned through listening. We have insights into our client experience, the impact that they are experiencing that we never would have known apart from asking. And these insights continue to equip us for better service. Have there been role models in your lives, either of your lives, uh, of great listeners? People who have influenced you, inspired you? because they've listened to you or things you've read about them or heard about them or experienced that, um, that, 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 that have given you some, you know, given you a model. Yeah. The, the top two that, that uh, come to mind for me, one is I have uh, had the incredible gift of, uh, of a dad, uh, that was always ready to listen. And he always would have the same posture. He would kind of cross his arms and he would, almost hold his chin and he would lean in and I knew that he was always uh, ready to listen. And so on a family front, uh, that, that was an incredible gift that I uh, have been given. 
Um, and then organizationally, one of our board members, uh, his name is Brian, and whenever Brian uh, speaks, uh, we're all ready because because you can tell he's he's not quick to speak. He's slow to speak. Uh, he's quick to listen, and he's someone that will soak it all in, and you can tell that he is deep in thought. And and then he almost he almost shares back to you what you said and then extends the thinking in an, in an entirely new domain or realm. And there is a depth uh, of that, that I think the depth of content is directly correlated with the depth of listening that he has. So those are the two that uh, immediately jumped to my mind. Yeah, for myself, I, I immediately think of my family as well, especially my mom. And one thing that I appreciate the most about her is that she doesn't just listen when it is convenient. Um, she's always quick to listen, to drop whatever she's doing, to love those that she's around. And that's something I, I hope to model as I uh, continue to serve. Yeah, we, we often talk about how you just never forget those people who listened well. They have such a lasting impression upon us as as leaders, as individuals, as brothers and sisters who follow Jesus. And uh, it makes just such a huge difference upon us, you know, in our own journey. So, so thanks for sharing those examples today. Here's a quote uh, from Peter, from your book, The Spiritual Danger of Doing Good. You've written, uh, looking around at a room of worn out, high-achieving international development leaders, she said to us, transformational leadership begins at home. No matter what the numbers at work say, we aren't a success unless our children and spouses are on board with what we do. So, Peter, um, uh, how do you how do you listen to your your children and to your and to your wife and and know that they are on board on board or or maybe know sometimes when they're not uh, you know how does that work for you personally? The part of the book that that is taken from is all about uh, how there was a season in life and I mentioned it just briefly earlier that again my focus was on work and and the irony too is I think we were doing a better job of listening to the to the global stakeholders at that point than I was doing listening to people that I would go home and uh, and spend time with every day, my wife and my kids. And, and I was struck by the fact that I had never asked them, how well am I doing as, as dad and husband? And, and uh, at that moment, uh, if I had asked that question, I know what the response would have been. Uh, the response would have been, you're not hitting it out of the park. Um, and my wife uh, and I had a conversation uh, one night that I will never forget. It was a it was a defining moment in our marriage where uh, she initiated. I did not ask the question that I should have been asking, uh, but she shared that uh, at that moment in our marriage, we had this great start. We had this great story. And yet our relationship was not thriving. Uh, there was not time. There was not space. Uh, it was not the priority at that time in our marriage. And so a couple things changed uh, at that moment. And as it relates to listening, you two are going to think I'm crazy when I tell you this, but I was so struck by the fact that I didn't know how my wife was feeling about our marriage at that time, that I that I literally have, have a series of questions that I go through every quarter 
asking a series of questions to try and understand how well am I doing? And it's, it's almost like what Rebecca was talking about, about the structure of listening. I needed to have a structure of listening in my home to make sure that I don't take it for granted, that I don't uh, miss out on the opportunity to listen well, that I don't miss out on the opportunity to ask a series of questions about uh, does my wife and do my kids know how proud I am of them? Do they know that I consider them uh, my, the most prized people on earth? Um, how well are we doing parenting together? And it's a series of questions that for me are a structured way of saying, if I say I love you, that means I want to be going above and beyond in listening in a structured way so that this idea of transformation leadership, it's not just something we do around the world with Hope International, but it's also something that I experience as an individual. It's something that my family experiences as well. And uh, making sure that there's time and space to listen well to the people that matter most to us. How, how has Hope's culture shifted in that way? I mean, I know we've both read up on, on several of the values that you've established where you have established strong boundaries to make sure that your employees, including yourself, are keeping the right things, the right thing, the, the main thing, the main thing. And how has, how, how have things shifted in the last couple of years in your culture? Yeah, I'll share a couple and then love to hear Rebecca, your thoughts as well. But uh, a couple ways that it's changed. One is the structures. We've talked about that a lot, but the structures of listening have dramatically changed and the application of learning from those structures is a really important piece. And I think that could have been a source of significant frustration if we're listening, but then we're not doing anything with the information that we're, we're learning. And so I, I'm so grateful for the structures that are put in place. But then I think the other kind of piece about listening that I've, I've so appreciated is the annual survey that allows us within the sector that we're a part of to listen well and then to look at what are the things we're doing well as an organization and what are the things that we're not doing as well. And so for us, the best Christian workplace has been a really significant piece. And I can give you our numbers and I can tell you the areas that we did pretty well in, but way more important than that is every year, the areas that we identify for improvement. And um, again, we just wouldn't have made those changes had we not had a structured way of listening. And if you were to walk around with Hope International, there are a lot more areas that we want to continue improving. We have definitely not figured this out, but I know we are going to be uh, figuring out more of the important elements when we continue to have the systems and structures of, of listening as well. So that externally administered survey has really been a source of terrific information for us. And as Peter talks about building out our structures of listening, over the last couple of years, we've made sure that we have at least one core way of listening to each of our stakeholders. And also, as Peter talked about responding, I think the way that we respond and make decisions continues to be shaped by listening as an organization. One example, we have had a number of design retreats where when a program is facing a big question, rather than just um, meeting with the top leaders in a room and saying, all right, what should we do? Going through a design process of saying, of saying, what have we learned from those we serve related to this question? Even bringing in clients to meet with staff and say, will you teach us 
about this. We want to be students of those that we serve. And that has yielded incredible fruit in terms of program innovation, things that we would never have dreamed up um, if we hadn't sought to collaborate with our clients. Thank you. We are almost out of time. We can't believe how quickly uh, the, 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 this, you know, this conversation is going. So we want to share one more quote with you and then just talk about that a little bit as we, as we wrap this up. And this quote is from Mother, now Saint Teresa. And she, she has once written and said, the, the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted unloved and uncared for we can cure physical diseases with medicine but the only cure for loneliness despair and hopelessness is love there are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread but there are many more dying for a little love the poverty in the west is a different kind of poverty it is not only a poverty of loneliness but also of spirituality there's a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God. As we think about this, this, this hunger for love, which we think exists probably everywhere, as it's common human, human need, we all need to be loved. Uh, what are your hopes, some of your hopes and dreams for the future in sharing this love, proclaiming this love? What would you like to see happen in the world because of love? That is a great question, and it, it makes me think about what Jesus prayed for us um, while he was still on earth. He prayed for unity, and my hope is to be an agent of unity, a minister of reconciliation, and um, as Jesus prayed um, that we would have unity, I think love is central to that in recognizing our common humanity and place as children of God, and I think learning to listen to one another and creating the space to do so can open the door for a shared vision of the future we hope to build together. Peter, how about you? Do you have a do you have a response to that too? I do have a response. Amen and amen. That is great. What can you add to Mother Teresa and Rebecca? I think that is absolutely the right landing place. May that be so. And I just imagine what would it look like if all of the people that we serve uh, would know that they are loved? What would it look like if all of our supporters would know that they are loved? What would it look like if all of our staff would know that they are loved? Uh, I just imagine the impact of, of that on our world um, as well. So yeah, may that be true about hope and may it be true about all of us as well. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you to all of our listeners today. And on that note, we hope that you today, as, as a listener, know that you are loved and valued. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more about Someone to Tell To, please head to our website, someonetotellitto.org. Hopeinternational.org. Thanks, guys. We really appreciated this. Blessings to you both. Thank, Thank you. you.